you all are here and didn't head out of town. I know a lot of people are gone this weekend, but it's great to be here with us. And Labor Day is kind of a funny holiday. It's like the holiday about work or the holiday celebrating work. But it's, it's great to have this three-day weekend. And this, this message today is a little bit different, too, than normal. Uh, it's always different than normal. We're never very normal. But I would really, we're going to talk about, about being activists, about the call of God to be an activist in our generation. And so it would really help me and the whole atmosphere here, if you're just really engaging, and if you're like shouting out some, oh, that's good, or, oh, man, that hurts, or whatever it is, <laughs> just like, you know, let's get an active environment going here. Uh, I do want to say before we move on, we had a great couple nights the la- on Thursday night and Friday night we, in City Park, right over there. Is, is Power Play in the Park, which is a big like pep rally with thousands of people from the community who come out. And we had our, a tent there, a new tent we just got, and we were playing this Wheel of Fun game and giving out ice pops and waters. And we interacted with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and had some great conversations. And I think we had the most fun uh, tent there of anybody there, actually. We had lines of kids Thursday and Friday night and parents and people. It was great. So thank you to all those who came and gave of your time and energy. You did a great job, and we brought a lot of life. So kudos. Good job. Uh, activism. I've, you know, I'm a little weird maybe, but I grew up kind of, I just missed the, the activism of the 60s and 70s. I was, I was born kind of growing up hearing these stories of, of young people getting out on the college campuses and protesting and advocating for civil rights and you know, there's all sorts of other stuff being advocated for in the, in the 60s. But I always felt like, man, I, I kind of want to be part of something like that. And I, I just sort of missed out on it. And then I've been around college students ever since I was in college. I've always hoped that, man, I want to see a movement of young people and of people in, in our nation that are getting mobilized to see change happen in society. And it's always been kind of, you know, disappointing that it's not as much of that as I would like to see. But I have to say, the last few years, I've been strangely encouraged by the increase of activism in our culture. And I say strangely because it's a lot of issues that I don't necessarily agree with what people are advocating for, but I appreciate the increase in people getting out. And there's, there's more political involvement, everything from LGBT issues to racism issues. Um, politics, more people involved politically. Our current president has done a great job of just kind of increasing people's involvement in the process, whatever you think. There's just more like, wow, like, what's going on? We want to be involved. And so I, part of me is like, yeah, I, 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 I believe there's something bigger that God is doing. If you look back at actually the, the 60s and the activism that happened that, in that era, a lot of that was there were great things that happened, especially out of the civil rights movement. But a lot of it, like the sexual revolution, was very antithetical to, to godly values. But there was a hunger in the hearts of, of our culture to make a difference. And out of that environment came one of the greatest revivals and moves of God that we've ever seen, which became known as the Jesus Movement, where literally millions and millions, yeah, come on, Elaine, it's awesome, it's good stuff. There were millions of people who surrendered their hearts to Jesus, who had, came into a personal relationship with God and came to know him and began to live radically, not just this religious sort of uh, sense of what it meant to be a Christian, but authentically with a personal relationship with God and living that out in their own way, in their own generation. And, man, that's, I believe that's on God's heart. I believe that's what he, something he wants to do. 
So 13 days ago, something happened that caught my attention. And I don't know how many of you followed this news, but at the University of North Carolina, there's been a statue, a memorial to the, to the soldiers for who fought in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. Um, and it's a memorial to those who came from that university, the University of North Carolina. It was, it was erected in 1908, I believe, something like that, somewhere around there. And that has become an increasingly controversial statue because it's, it was an army that fought to preserve slavery, that fought to pre- preserve race-based slavery, it fought to preserve uh, a mentality that said that people of African descent were three-fifths human, and that was embedded in our, in our Constitution. And this memorial was put up in like 1908, and it's been there ever since. And especially since the 1940s, there's been increasing discontent and questions about, hey, is this a good thing that we should have on our university? And there would be those who say, you know, yeah, we, it's, it's, there'd be those who say, yes, the South will rise again, man, anything Confederate, that's good. There are plenty of people like that. There are a lot of people that are a little more nuanced that they would say, well, you know, we don't agree with the racism of that, the, of, of that time, but there were certain values that can, can, the Confederate Union stood for, the Confederate Army stood for, um, you know, things like states' rights and some other things. There are plenty of people that would say, that have said, oh, we, we don't think that should be there, but we need to, we need to follow, like, work through changing our laws to see that happen, to see that change happen. And interestingly enough, the, the laws actually went the other direction a couple of years ago, where the state of North Carolina passed a law to say, we cannot remove any memorials to historical events in our state. So there are, there are literally thousands of memorials to the Confederacy all across the South, and North Carolina reacted, and they started to come down, and they said, no, we're, we're going to preserve everyone that's there. And so there have been growing protests and some, you know, protests going around the statue. Until, and so it's been, it's been guarded. And there's a picture here of, it's called Silent Sam. Um, it's been guarded for, for uh, I think, a number of months. But when school started recently, the, the protest escalated. And more and more people were going around and protesting. Until 13 days ago, they distracted the security guards and they got ropes around the statue, and they pulled Silent Sam down. And so there's a picture of Silent Sam on the ground. And it's interesting to me. Now, I'm not going to, we could have debates about what's the best way to go about this. I, it's going to be hard for me to hide the fact, maybe I'm just a Yankee, but I don't, I don't, personally, this isn't like the word of the Lord or from the Bible, but personally I can't see a lot of reason to have a Confederate statue in the U.S. today. That's just how I feel about it. But apart from, let's just step back from that. It's interesting that after 70 years of protest and discontent, some people got ropes and they acted in such a way to tear the sucker, to pull the sucker down. And it is not going to go back up in that same place. Oh, they, the university came out just a couple days ago, and they said, hey, we're gonna, we are going to put it back up, but we're going to find a more secluded place. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We're not going to make it such prominent. You know, we're going to make it more of a nuanced description of like, remembering the Civil War and the ins and outs and pros and cons and learning from history. 
But they're not going to put it where it's been, which is at the gateway to the university, in a very public, prominent place. Yeah, thanks. Like, I feel the same way. And, you know, it's interesting that those actions, and I'm not advocating vigilantism or violence. I want to be very clear about that. I believe in working with, within the law to change things. But the fact that they did something physically has changed the reality. And they, the university, they can't. If they put that statue back up now, they would be scared to death of what's going to happen. Because something has changed because of an action that those people took. And many times, you know, as Christians, we are often so cautious about the dangers of legalism. We're so cautious about the dangers. As, 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 as evangelical believers, we know that it's so important that we're saved by grace, not by works. We know it's about God's love for us, not what we can do for God. And that is the bedrock of, of what we believe and where our, where our life comes from, our salvation comes from. And this, we're, this that's what gives us the ability to live the life we're called to, to live. But sometimes we lose sight on the fact that our actions really matter. That the choices we make and the actions we take, day in and day out, have real-world consequences for our lives and for the lives of others and for our culture. And God has called us to be, I believe there's a, there's a, a unique calling, I and mean, there's always a calling, but I think even in this day and age in which we live, there's a calling to be Christian activists. To be active, God is looking, he's always looking for people who will rise up beyond normalcy and mediocrity and kind of social norms and say, I'm willing to do something that will be countercultural, that will, there's a cost to it, it's not popular, there will be consequences, but I'm willing to do something to, to bring about change. And that's what God has called us to. And, you know, our, our, I love living in Manhattan because our city was founded by a bunch of activists. I don't know if you know that. But it was out of the, the abolitionist movement in the, the 1850s when the, there was a, a battle over whether, whether Kansas would be a slave state or a free state. And thousands of people that, that had, a, most of them inspired by their Christian beliefs, were, believed that, man, we need to do everything we can to have freedom in the U.S. and not and abolish slavery and, and abolish race-based slavery. And they moved here. They, they sold their farms. They sold their livelihoods. They moved here for the purpose of establishing this place as a free state and pushing back slavery. And as you, you read the history of the people who founded Manhattan, that was what they were committed to. And throughout history, that's what Christians have done. Christians have been activists for the care of orphans, for the betterment of women, for the abolishment of slavery, um, the sex trafficking movement, abolishing to, to put an end to that. That really is, has caught a lot of traction in our broader culture. That was really, it's Christians that have been at the forefront of that. And we could go, we could go on and on. And where do we get this? Well, we get it from our leader, Jesus. And we're going to look at a story of Jesus that is probably not the most common story we talk about, about Jesus, but I don't know why, because it's a great one. It's actually in the Gospel of John. It's the, as, we hear, as we read about the beginning of his ministry, this is the second thing that we read about him doing when he began his ministry. So the first thing he did was also kind of controversial to some people. He turned water into wine at a wedding. And then the next thing was this. 
So in in John chapter 2, verse 13, God help us to hear what you want us to hear in your word. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So he went to the temple, and this is the place where sacrifices were made to God, where it was the center of worship to the one true God, and Jesus went there, and he, find, he finds that there was like a marketplace set up in the temple courts, and people realize, okay, it's, they, they, you know, business people are always looking for an opportunity, and people needed to bring, to have a sacrifice of a lamb, or a, a cow, or a, a, a bird, and it was hard to travel a long ways and bring your livestock, so it was easier to bring money and then buy something in Jerusalem, and then make your sacrifice or offering there. So this whole commerce began to be set up in the temple, where they were changing money and buying and selling right there in the temple. And Jesus was not a big fan of what was happening in this this area. It says in verse 15, making a whip of cords. This is Jesus. (laughs) Jesus made a whip out of cords. He sat down, he got leather, whatever he was doing, he braided it together. It was premeditated action. (laughs) Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. How many of you, that like doesn't fit with your picture of meek and mild Jesus? With the lamb around his shoulders half the time, walking around looking all effeminate and saying, peace be with you. Oh, great, you know, that's, we kind of have this picture of Jesus being so soft and meek and mild, but man, imagine this scene, this is more like Mad Max kind of thing. I mean, it's not, not really, but I mean, imagine this scene. He makes a whip and he goes in single-handedly and he starts chasing people out and turning over their tables and knocking over their money and driving them out of there. That's pretty radical. That's, that's an intense, that's an activist person right there. And that's, that's what Jesus did. And he told those, in verse 16, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my, do not make my father's house a house of trade. And it's, it's really interesting. Jesus not only did this once, but he did it twice. This was at the beginning of his ministry. At the end of his ministry, right before he was crucified, he did the same thing. And it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew's description of this account, he says, let's go ahead and, and read it here on the screen. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you make it a den of robbers. So it's like, hey, you are missing the point of what my house is all about. And he was pretty upset about that. In verse 17, back in the John account, It says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Man, how about this? I mean, we don't have a lot of artwork showing Jesus doing stuff like this. We don't have a lot of, not a lot of our worship songs are like, oh Lord, you made a whip. And you drove people out of the temple. Oh, I worship you. You're so awesome. You know, like, I think there's probably, it's probably speaking to maybe a lack of something we need a little more of this. There's, there's something here that 
maybe we're missing out on. So Marcel, Sharon, Mike, maybe you can write some songs that can help bring some of this out a little bit. But that's yeah, it's a fresh look at what would Jesus do, right? Like, man, Jesus was a person, he was an activist. And there are a couple things about this story that stand out to me. The first is that the, the establishment, the norm of what was going on in the culture and in the religious community, it was very respectable, it was very accepted. Like, you don't set up that marketplace in the temple unless you have the approval of all the authorities. That was accepted. That was the norm. That, in fact, the people who were in charge of the temple, they were I'm definitely, I'm sure, profiting from that as well. Like They were charging rent for people to set up space there. And so it was all ingrained into what was going on. There were economic incentives to keep things going the way they were going. It's like, oh yeah, it's about worship, and we're, just, we're helping people out here. And there were all the, all the rationalizations to keep things the way they were. Kind of like, you know, I, if, you read the, if you read any injustice in past history, you see this. If you look at slavery, it's like, man, the, the people who advocate for this, like they, they, they were respectable. They were accepted. If you look at Nazi Germany, it was like, the shocking thing is not that Hitler was a crazy person, but it's that the, the middle class, the normal people, like went along with it. And that was something, an atrocity was happening. But it was acceptable. And people at the time just went along with it. And that's what man, that stands out to me here, is that there are things that are respectable, but Jesus abhors them. Jesus gets worked up about stuff that needs to change. But in, in our culture, even in religion, it can become very much accepted. And it's, it's very easy for, for money to spoil things. You know, I actually read part of this, the speech of the a man named Julian Carr, who dedicated that Silent Sam statue. And he was a very prominent business person in North Carolina. Um, he was an industrialist and had made a lot of money. And he donated a lot of money to good causes. He donated money to, to suffra- the suffragist movement and all sorts of things. But as you listen to this speech, you're like, this dude was a racist. I mean, but it's so mixed up with it's so much Christian language and so much just talking about Christian ideals and the good of our people and following God. It's like, that's all worked in. But then the end of his speech, his, his climax is saying, yeah, and right here, 100 yards away, I horsewhipped a Negro woman for speaking up to a woman, to speaking up to a white, to, for, for speaking up to a white lady. And I horsewhipped her publicly until her skirt was in shreds. And that's all mixed in with all this Christian, talking about the glories of the Confederacy right there. And it's easy to look at Julian Carr 100 years ago and, oh, how could they do that? But the question is, oh, how much do I do that? How much do I compromise? How much are the values of my life really about my own self-interest and preserving myself and preserving what helps me get ahead at the expense of others and at the expense of what really is valuable to God? I was, just, I was wondering in my mind, man, was, where are we at? So, yeah, how about, man, it's, it's convicting. I mean, it should be convicting for us. Like, what is in my life? What's in our culture that is that way? So that stands out about the story. And the other thing that stands out to me is the passion that Jesus demonstrates. He was a passionate man in 
being an activist, and it wasn't just like, hey, I'm, it was, his disciples said, zeal for your house will consume you. That's what the scripture that they realized was being fulfilled. That Jesus was fulfilled with passion and zeal for God's house. Passion and zeal for the things that mattered to God. And he was so overwhelmed with passion that it led him to have to act out of that and do something. And man, that's an essential part of being a Christ follower. Is that if we are living without passion and zeal, then something's missing in our lives. It's wild when you, you read the story of the early Christians. It wasn't just Jesus. But this marked the early church. And read the book of Acts in the New Testament that tells the story of the early church. And they were activists. They were marked by passion and zeal. And they were, that led them to do something in their day-to-day lives. And their story after story of them speaking up and being bold and being persecuted. And it's kind of everywhere they went, like, things got stirred up. Like, the Christian message could not come into a city without the city getting stirred up. That, you could say it wasn't always accepted, it wasn't often popular, although there always were people responding. But it, the Christian message could not be the true Christian message without stirring things up everywhere they went. And to the, to the degree that there were mobs and riots sometimes, and the believers being thrown in prison and all sorts of things. In, in Acts 17, we're talking about one of the cities where the believers went to, and it says after they were preaching their message, in Acts 17, verse 5, it says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. That's one of the believers. Seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. That was their description of the believers. These are men who have turned the world upside down. They're upsetting things. They're coming against what's normal. They've turned the world upside down, and they've come here also. And Jason has received them. And here's what's behind it all. And they are all acting against the degrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Wow. They were saying, hey, there's a king who's above all this, who's, yes, there's Caesar, and you know, the Christians respected him until he crossed loyalty to Jesus. But they said, there is another king, Jesus. And that was upsetting. That was turning the world upside down, just as it does everywhere the Christian message comes. So what is Christian activism? God's called us to be Christian activists. What does that, what does that mean? Well, three things. Christian activism is Christian. That's deep, I know. (laughs) But there's, and really, you look at the civil rights movement of the 60s, that's what made it so impactful, is that the best part of it was was based upon the teachings of Jesus to turn the other cheek. And that being not a passive thing, but an assertive thing, to say, you hit me, I'm going to get in the place where there has to be a confrontation, but I'm not going to respond back in violence, but I'm going to turn the other cheek. And that's what led to major change. And we see that. The Christian activism is Christian. It's, honestly, when I watch some of the videos of of this, it undermined the credibility of some of the protesters because 
I could I appreciate the cause they're advocating, but to me it just seemed like there was so much self-interest mixed up in them, and so much bitterness, and so much kind of like you know it was it wasn't there was so much of their flesh that was behind it, and. God has called us to be Christian activists. That means the first activism has to be towards our own flesh. It has to be dealing with the stuff in us. You know, we, we can't deal with sex trafficking until we deal with lust in our own life. And we could go on and on. We can't bring peace between ethnicities until we can have peace in our own families. You know, it's like there in our own, with your neighbor, with the people around us. Like, it's how are we working in the principles of God and the reality of God's power in us? in our world, and in our lives, and from that it has to, to flow. Paul wrote in Romans 12, So I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, who is your spiritual, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, if, if we're going to be Christian activists, it's first renewing our minds. It's first saying, God, what in my way of thinking is contrary to the way you think? What does your word say? What is, what is, how does your spirit want to transform me? And making ourselves available to be transformed by God. And that's the process of discipleship. That doesn't happen overnight. That happens as we study the Bible and learn what God says and then look to him to help us apply it to our life. That's how we get this worked into our lives. So Christian activism is Christian. It's also passionate. We talked about that already. As it was said of Jesus, zeal for your house will consume me. You know, God's called us to be passionate. The famous football coach, Vince Lombardi of the, of the, of the Green Bay Packers from the 60s, I love, he's, he had a lot of good one-liners, but he told his team, if you're not fired with enthusiasm... You'll be fired with enthusiasm. <laughs> and that really is, man, how Christians should live. Like, we should have a zeal within us, an enthusiasm within us. That if that's missing, that's not just like, oh, that's just not my personality. No, like, your personality needs Jesus to redeem it. Like, your personality needs more of God, just like mine does. My personality sucks all by itself. All right, I need God to infuse me with something greater. Yeah, man, there's a lot of amens to my personality sucks. That's great. I like that. <laughs> but it's true. Like, my, if I'm just, like, left, oh, that's not natural for me. Well, then I'm going to live a boring, mundane life that falls short of who God's called me to be. But God wants us to be fired with enthusiasm. He wants his zeal to come upon us. And we need him for that. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to his, his disciple, Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. I'm not sure if this is the nuance of, what he's, of how he's communicating here, but the way it comes across to me is kind of like, hey, Timothy, I've seen your sincere faith, and I know it's in your mother and your grandmother, but I'm not always seeing it. Like, I'm sure it's in there. But sometimes, you know, sometimes I have to go off of, like, what I've seen in the past because I'm not seeing it right now. And, but I know it's there. And he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame 
the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul said, hey, it's, you've got a gift of faith. You have a sincere faith. There's an authentic faith in you. And even I've prayed for you. I've laid hands on you. I've seen God impart spiritual gifts and more of the Holy Spirit into your life through, through, through prayer, through people praying for you. And, and it's there. But just because it's there doesn't mean it's active. And you've got to remember to fan it into flames. You've got to be intentional about taking that, the faith that God's put in you and taking the spirit that he's put on you and fanning that into flames. You've got you to be intentional about bringing it alive, helping it be activated. I know that's true for me. When I wake up in the morning, the sincere faith that is in me is not fanned into flames. When I, a lot of the time, that sincere faith in me is not fanned into flames. But I've learned to consistently go before God and say, God, I need you. Pour out your spirit upon me. Wake me up. I need more of you. Pour, pour some more. I need, give me your zeal. Give me your passion. And I read the Bible. Pray. Pray in the spirit. And that gift is fanned into flames. That passion comes. The might of God comes as we fan it into flames. So Christian activism, we have to fan it into flames. We have to get the passion of God. And then we have to keep stirring it up regularly. It's funny how sometimes people equate Christian maturity with Christian boringness. Like, well, yes, when I was a young pup, when I was a young Christian, I was excited too. But now I'm more mature. That's not Christian maturity. That's just sad. <laughs> that's, that's not what Jesus is like. God is a passionate God. In fact, I think, I was talking to Sharon about this a couple days ago. And a lot of people struggle with some of the passages in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, where God is, is it's describing the judgment that comes and the discipline that God is bringing. I think a lot of that, it, man, that's tough because we don't like discipline. We don't like judgment. We don't like correction. But I think if you can realize there's so much passion that God has for his people, he cares so deeply. I mean, you know the heart of God, and he's describing, like, man, I gave you this, and I have a purpose for you, and I've, I'm calling you into this, and you keep turning away. There's, he's, he's, he's correcting us because he cares, but it's also, that he does, there is a passion, there is an intensity about it, just like I sometimes have an intensity with my kids, because, man, I care, and I care about them, and that passion comes through. It doesn't mean he's vindictive. It means he cares deeply. So Christian activism is passionate. And finally, Christian activism is active. There are actions involved in following God. James, James 2, 14 and 17, James writes and says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, doesn't have actions? Can that faith save him? And then later in verse 17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. We're saved to live a new life of obedience and actions. Every day, God, the Bible says God has works prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Every day we wake up, there's like a game plan. Yeah. Hey, I want you to talk to that person. Hey, I want you to make your bed first, though. You know, or maybe do your dishes. God has, like, good works. That's going to really, man, you want to bless your roommates? Clean the kitchen. 
You know, but I've got good works for you to do that are going to make a difference in the lives of people around you. They're going to make a difference in society. I've got something for you, but the question is, will we walk into those? I want you to have a conversation with that person. I want you to say no to that temptation and say yes to this opportunity. There are things that God has for us. The question is, will we walk into them? But there's something that happens when we obey that produces something that nothing else produces. Just like when they dragged down that statue, that action did something. That, those few people around that statue, they did that action change things in our nation. There are ripple effects that are still being worked out. And the same is true of the acts that we do in faith and obedience towards God make a difference. They really do. So that's what God's called us to. Now, it's essential that we have to, we have to take the log out of our own eye first before we try to take the speck out of our brother's eye or our culture's eye. And so, again, Christian activism always goes back to, okay, what am I doing in my own life? And I believe, like, God wants to give all of us dreams and visions of how he wants you to change the world. But it's essential that the building blocks are in place, that you're doing the small things first. And so, God may be speaking to you, to, to you today, and you're like, man, I want you, to, I want you to give a big portion of your life to the pro-life cause, or you know, this, or that. I don't know what it, it could be, all sorts of things. But there are some things that really need to be in all of our lives as, as foundations. And I just want to lay out, because I was thinking about, what are these things? It's like, well, there are things that we we lay out for members of Bluemont to say, these are the things that we commit to. These, this is the lifestyle that we should be living. Just as a, not as like this super high thing, but just, it is a radically different lifestyle from the world. But this is kind of, this is, these are the actions God's called us to. So and this is, a lot of weeks we have this in our, in our handouts, and it's there on the front page. This is what we each do. We encounter God through personal, daily Bible reading and prayer. Now, let me tell you, if we're not doing this, if we're not setting aside time <clears throat> to meet with God and intake his word and hear from him and build a relationship with him in prayer, through prayer, and hear what he has to say, then we can't make a difference in the world. We're, we're not going to see much change happen in our life. But as we do that, as we meet with God regularly, God meets us, and he changes us, and he speaks to us. He works in our life and raises us up to be the people he's called us to be. So we encounter God daily, regularly. We link up each Sunday and, and during the week. You know, being an activist isn't an individual thing. It's a team sport. And coming together on, on Sundays and throughout the week, take, building relationships with others is an essential part of being an activist. Now that statue wouldn't have come down if it had just been one guy by himself. There was a movement of people who were linking together. And... It's important that we know that the, the, the responsibility for that is on us, not on somebody else. Our, the level of relationships we have is contingent upon our investment in relationships with others. And so we can take ownership for linking up, getting the accountability we need, confessing our sins one to another, building those relationships with people that we need to help us grow. So we encounter God, we link up, we give generously. It's funny how the stuff that keeps evil entrenched in a society is almost always tied to money. With Jesus, that story in the temple, it was tied to money. Slavery was tied to money. It's self-interest and trying to control things. We break the power of greed and materialism when we give generously. 
And so a starting point of that is giving, putting God first, giving him 10% through our tithes. That's just like a basic starting point of saying, God, I'm going to break the power of materialism. I'm going to put you first in my finances. I'm going to give generously and see you use those resources to change the world. And my life's going to get changed too. But not just stopping there. It's, it's giving generously with our time, with, with beyond tithing, with our resources, saying, God, how can I give of myself to other people? Serve on a volunteer team. It's activist serve. You know, the... You look at any movement in history, I'm just, I'm amazed that as, as I've read a little bit about different movements that change things, just how much time they gave to, to gather and organize and do things. And anything that produces change in the world involves serving. And so that's a lifestyle. Uh, it's also part of what we do as, as church members. And I'll just say this, we have a lot of volunteer teams, and most of them could be like doubled in number right now, and it would be a good thing. Like, we've got some teams that are like, man, we really need help. Like, our, our setup team, our tech team with the sound and video, our greeters. Like, we have teams that are like, man, we could use some more people to really help us serve, serve not only our church but our community and bring a lot of energy and faith to that. And so if you would like to serve, just talk to someone at the Welcome Center when we're done, and we can help you find a great place to serve. And the last one is invite others and invest in their lives. It's, man, it starts out not just, I'm going to change the world, but who's the one person? that I'm going to reach out to? Who's the one person I'm going to love? Who's the one person I'm going to invite to come to church or come to a community group or come hang out with me and build a friendship with? Who can I invest my life in? Who's, who's my one? Who's the one person that I'm investing in? And, and I think one of the biggest things God wants to do this year at Bluemont, and a lot of people aren't here, so you can pass this on, is take, there are a lot of people who are doing these things really well. There are a lot of people that are inviting and investing in a bunch of people's lives. I think the biggest thing God wants to do is take people that are currently inviting and investing in zero, going from a zero to a one. Taking people that are like, you know, I'm not, there's, I haven't made a disciple yet. I haven't reached someone for Christ and helped them grow as a follower of Jesus. I think what God wants to do is to take a bunch of people from that place, and that's, that's where we all start, but say, man, I'm going to go from a zero to one this year. And, man, if that would happen... With, can you imagine that happening with 50 people? That would be awesome. I believe, that's, I believe that is very much in the realm of possibility what God wants to do. All right, how are you guys doing? Call a generation of activists. Um, and I just want to bring it home here. And we are going to have a chance if you're, if you're this morning going, man, there's something that I know God's calling me to respond to this, I need, I need prayer. I want to I give up something in my life or step into something new. Or I need help to, to break free from something. Or God, I want to respond to your call to, to follow you in faith and obedience into something new. We're going to have a chance just to come up to the front when we're done as we close this morning. And just to have someone pray with you. And even for you to make even a practical step, an action to say, yeah, okay, I want to do something with this. And so if that's you, you know, just asking, think about, man, are there areas in my life where I've kind of become comfortable, where I've made an agreement with, with my own self-interest above God's interest? I, but God is touching my heart to, to become a Christian activist or, or to become a Christian activist to a greater degree. I want to respond to that. Or whatever else, if you're just like, man, I need help. I, I want to follow God. I want to take a stand and do that. 
want to we want to stand with you. So I'm, let me just pray. Um, pray for us here as we as we close, Lord. Thank you that you've given us something worth living for. Thank you that you have works prepared in advance for us to walk in. Thank you that your grace not only covers our sin, and thank you so much for that, but it also empowers us. And Lord, I pray that you would, even in our community, even in Manhattan at K-State, would you do something this year? Would you stir things up? God, will you cause your church to be activists who, wherever we go, things cannot remain the same. But people are provoked and brought to a place of decision of, will I follow Jesus or will I live for myself? God, we thank you that you are worthy. And you're, you call us a radical life. Lord, we trust you for your grace to help us to live that out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, Sharon, Marcel, you want to come on up? Um, there's going to, and a couple, one or two others maybe, uh, we're going to play some background music here. As, as I want to give you a chance. If you want to come on up, we're going to have a chance to do that in a minute. If, if um, the rest of you, so glad you could be here today. Excited to see how we're living this out. If this is your first week here, very glad you were able to join us. We have a gift for you at our welcome table right through the doors um, out there. So drop by, say hi to somebody there, get a gift. And if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I want to pray and take a step, then you can go ahead and come on up right now. We're going to have some ministry time and a chance to see God do a work in your life and the lives of those who respond. So have a great week. We'll keep trusting God to do more.